So it is, uh, it's actually very precious to be with you all this morning. If you don't know me, visiting this morning, um, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church, a church that is one family in Christ, on mission together across multiple locations. And I have an expectation this morning that God, in his, in his fathering way, wants to encourage, shape, and direct us as his people. Now, you might be here this morning and you've yet to put your trust in Jesus. I just want to say I believe God has you very much on his heart and wants to see you cross that line of faith and risk it all to follow him. So let's be expectant together and see what God does as we look to his word and respond in worship together. So we are continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 4. So Hebrews is at the, located at the end of your Bible, near the end of your Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, just peek over your shoulder to the person who does. Uh, I'm sure they won't mind. Chapter 4, verse 14, through to chapter 5, verse 10. I am, of course, expecting the church family to be gracious and sharing the scripture with people next to them as well. Don't hide the Bible. <laughs> so chapter 4, verse 14, and we're going to read through to 5, verse 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray uh, for your revelation through your spirit. I pray your spirit will impart to us the significance of your word today, the power of your word today. Thank you that it is a life and I pray that, Lord, we will come out of this place all changed because of it. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have been with us from the start of this journey through the book of Hebrews, you will know that the writer is seeking to establish 
the credentials of Jesus Christ to, uh, to primarily a Jewish audience. So who are, these guys are learning what it is to live life out as a Christian. And he wants them to come to a place of maturity in their faith so that they might be secure throughout challenging times when their faith would be tested. There is a worship song that reflects a parable shared by Jesus. It says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. In testing times, the Hebrew writer is concerned that Jewish Christians would not fall back into the comfort of the life they had known before, but would be more concerned with pressing deeper into the person of Jesus Christ, for all other ground apart from him is sinking sand. Here in the end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5, the writer wants to reveal Jesus as the one who supersedes the role of high priest, an incredibly important role that God had established early in the history of Israel as a means of mercy for God's nation. The writer has already looked at how Jesus is greater than the angels and greater than the prophet and leader Moses. Here is another key contrast that establishes Jesus as the focal point for all who believe. For Jesus is like no other, and there is no other who can do what he can. So we are going to unpack a little bit more about the person of Jesus, the Son of God and appointed high priest, and then we're going to look at what that means for us as followers of Jesus through a couple of let us phrases that we discover in verses 14 and 16. So before we do that, though, we're going to briefly look at the role of high priest so we understand what that is and what it meant for the Jewish people. So the role of high priest. We find that and discover that in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, something of the function, attitude and appointment of the high priest. So in regards to function, verse 1 in chapter 5 tells us that the high priest was chosen to act on behalf of the people of Israel in relation to God through the offering of gifts and sacrifices for sins. The role, effectively, the role of the high priest was to stand in the gap between God and his people. And this is about holiness. You know, many people set the standard in our day-to-day for excellence in their field. To give one example, in the field of sports, Michael Jordan was a basketball player who in his lifetime set such a standard of excellence when playing that it was seen to be unattainable by any other player. He was almost untouchable and unplayable at his peak. Holiness is another field to which God sets a standard of moral and spiritual excellence that no man or woman can match. He is untouchable in his field and the bar is set so high that there is nothing that we can do to reach the same level of excellence. And God is not trying hard to be like that. It's just who he is. And the rollout from the beginning with Adam and Eve and their sinful behaviour is that we all now fall short of God's standard. And we can label sin as anything that works against God's moral and spiritual excellence, despite God desiring his people to draw near to him because of holiness, 
sin is like a you ever had that uh, you ever had that elevator experience you know when there's a few of you in the elevator and someone drops one <laughs> sin is like this horrendous smell to god you know he's in the elevator with you you know and he's he's not liking what he's smelling okay he can't be in the same room as that <laughs> you can't wait to get off the elevator can you <laughs> Everyone looks at each other wondering, was it you? It's the, anyway. <clears throat> so the high priest, he stands in the gap, yeah, on behalf of the people that they, may, that they may be presented as holy to the Lord. That offerings and sacrifices would deliver a different fragrance to the nostrils of God. And therefore, metaphorically, God remains in the room with them meaning his presence and his favour would be with his people. That's something of the function of the, of the high priest. Secondly, we have empathy, okay? So verse, tell, verse 2 tells us that the high priest can deal gently, deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness, meaning the high priest is able to empathise with those he is interceding for. He understands the challenges and the temptations of life, and he knows what it is like to fall short of God's standard. Why? Because he himself is in the same camp. When Adam and Eve sinned, a line is drawn between God's standard and everyone else. This should enable the high priest not to act judgmentally toward God's people, but instead act with humility and gentleness, knowing that the struggle against sin is the walk that he is walking to. Verse 4 then helps us to understand how a person comes to hold the role of high priest. The scripture says that no one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron was the first high priest of the people of Israel and brother to Moses, Israel's leader and prophet. And it's from the uh, genealogical line of Aaron that all other high priests were appointed. Now, Aaron, he doesn't earn his spot through his moral and spiritual excellence, nor is it given because of his association with Moses. You know, it's not what you know, but who you know. No, the Bible tells us that God calls Aaron, calls Aaron to perform this role or special function for the people of Israel. Now, we, we know throughout Scripture that God measures by the heart. He looks at our genuine motive, our love. I'm sure that had something to do with it. But his appointment is not necessarily tied to who he was or what he had done. Just that Aaron was called by God and that was that. Now, just before we look at how this contrasts with Jesus, I think there's, a, there's probably a couple of helpful principles I think I'd like to share regarding the way we see God operating with us. So in those first few verses of chapter 5 regarding this role of high priest, we have the words chosen, called and appointed there is a pattern that we see throughout scripture of god choosing calling and appointing servants to fulfill a particular role or office of leadership responsibility for example 1 corinthians 1 1 paul's letter to the church his opening line is this paul called by the will of god to be an apostle of christ jesus jesus called and appointed those who we now know as the apostles 
the Apostle Paul being one of them. They couldn't appoint themselves, nor could they be appointed by others. But God work, God, but God could work through others to recognise and bring about an appointment to, of people to offices that God had instituted. So Hebrews tells us that in 5.4 that no one takes this honour for himself, which shares also something of the attitude that we should expect from those appointed. They are not ones looking for position or power or recognition, but we identify that calling over their lives by something of the character that they model. Humble servants who can empathise with those they are serving and leading because they too remember that we all stand shoulder to shoulder before God, prone to the same weaknesses and temptations. So that's a helpful checklist for us personally when it comes to identifying and appointing. God's calling upon an individual to serve with a key leadership responsibility is something that can be firstly recognised by others and is in harmony with the character that demonstrates a wonderful sense of humility and empathy. So for any of you wondering what their calling is in life, lots of people I've counted in my time over the years, they strive over the question, what is God calling me to do? I did, personally. You wonder what your part is to play. You know, how do I fit into the jigsaw puzzle of the church, you know? So let's start here. For those who have decided to put their trust in Jesus, you have been added to the family of God. No longer should you feel like a square peg in a round hole or a piece of the puzzle waiting to be inserted. You already fit perfectly into the picture that God is creating. As you... As much as you may recognise something in yourself, you know, you have a burning or a passion to pursue something in God. Let me say this, just know that if God is calling you into a particular area of leadership, just do what you do day by day with a humble heart. Pursue maturity in Christ. And if God is calling you, trust that it will be recognised and affirmed by others in his perfect timing. And that, what that doesn't mean is that you hide what God has potentially put on your heart. But you let others journey with you in prayer and friendship and trust God with the rest. I'll share something personally. I remember when God had deposited something in me around leadership, my gosh, I didn't really think anything of that. Otherwise, there was a niggle. And um, it took a prophetic word really to affirm that. And then I presented it to Cain and Tim and said, look, this is what I feel God's been doing in me and um, it was the guys then who drew alongside me and and you know helped me on that journey drew me alongside and, and journey with me and I think that is the most significant thing you know when you recognize something in yourself you allow others into the picture into the frame allow them to journey with you just keep doing what you do in humility God who is faithful will call you at the right time okay Enough of us. Right, let's look to Jesus. Chapter 4.14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
The writer to the Hebrews wants to present the ways in which Jesus is both similar and yet radically different to what the Jews have known regarding the high priest. And he starts by affirming the deity of Jesus as one who has passed through the heavens. Now to the Jewish people, the heavens incorporated the sky and, and all that was beyond. To them, it was the place that God dwells so that when God's presence fills the temple, it is arriving, streaming from the heavenly places, proceeding from the throne of God. So in speaking of Jesus as one who has passed through the heavens, there would have been no misunderstanding from the Jewish audience of what the writer was seeking to demonstrate. This radical contrast between Aaron, the brother of Moses, and Jesus, the son of God. Aaron and all high priests after him were humans proceeding from their original father, Adam, who was formed from the dust. In contrast, we have this new appointment in Jesus, the uncreated one, who has proceeded from the Father enthroned in the heavens. Whereas the genealogical line of high priests from Aaron onwards was human and therefore temporary, the writer shows that Jesus comes from a different order of priesthood, one without genealogy, without beginning or end, and therefore in Jesus, not temporary, but permanent and eternal. It says in Hebrews 5, 6, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now you can check out more about Melchizedek by looking at Genesis 14 and Hebrews 7, and I'm not gonna press into it more now as much as I want to, because uh, we will pick it up later in the preaching series. So the writer puts Jesus, the high priest, into a position as the son of God who's able to offer something from the heavens that no other human could offer on the earth. Now, I guess a helpful question is at this point, what is it that Jesus can offer that no other high priest can? Well, we're going to try and respond to that question by revisiting some of those areas of that priesthood of function, empathy and calling. Hmm. Start with function. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10 tells us the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. What it means is what God has instituted in the early days of Israel was but a temporary practice until that which has been better, until that which was better had been established. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Hebrews 10.4 tells us it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we understand that the shedding of blood must happen to bring about forgiveness, but it's impossible for animal sacrifice to take that sin away. So at the least, it would seem that what the priest sacrificed before God on behalf of the people of Israel enabled a temporary covering and demonstrated something of the heart of the people to be set apart for God. But in Jesus passing through the heavens, proceeding from the Father to become like us, the great high priest, who comes not to bring a sacrifice, but to be the very sacrifice himself. One who was and is untainted, spotless and without sin, gives of himself in one moment for all time, so that the covering of God over his people would no longer be temporary, but permanent. 
and where the blood of goats and bulls could not take away sins, the blood of Jesus emphatically cleanses those who belong to him. Amen? Amen. As the hymn of old speaks, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And as one who has passed through the heavens into humanity, we have a high priest who may not be able to empathize in the same way as the human high priest could, but he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he himself, in his humanity, was, it says in the scriptures, in every respect, tempted as we are. Yet, unlike us, unlike Aaron, was without sin. Jesus is able to deal gently with us, thank God, especially in our weaknesses, as Aaron did in his role. But what sets Jesus apart for every believer is that in him and with him, we do not have to yield to sin in the same way. Because at the cross, in the death and resurrection of Christ, the power of sin over us is broken. And with Christ in us and abiding with us, even in our human weakness, we have the power of God to overcome. Amen? Amen. So Jesus knows you. He knows your frame. He knows what makes you tick, what brings you joy. He knows what you need. He knows your strengths and he knows your weaknesses. One of the most precious promises Christ gives to those who put their trust in him is this. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For those in Christ, you are never without the power to overcome sin in your life, not because of you, but because of he that is in you and he that is with you. Jesus, our greater high priest. Let's look at calling and appointment. So Hebrews 5.5 tells us that Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. We talked earlier about God choosing calling and appointing his people to serve in areas of leadership and that there was a connection between that appointment and a person's character. Now in verses 4 to 7 of chapter 5 we see something of the character of Jesus which helps us to understand exactly why God exalts him as high priest. Pause for tea quickly. Firstly, Jesus does not exalt himself. He is not clambering for position or status or power. His very nature doesn't permit himself to do that. And that is why it pleases God to elevate and appoint him to such positions of authority. Secondly, Jesus had reverence for the Father. Reverence means to have a deep respect. Jesus the Son deeply 
respected his father and his father's power. He respected his father's power to rescue, to redeem, to save, to raise to life. And that is what shown by the way that Jesus offered up prayer and supplications and loud cries and tears. It's not because of what Jesus prayed, but the way that Jesus prayed, that means his prayers are heard. Jesus the son deeply respected the father. And Jesus was obedient. It was through the obedience of, the, of Jesus the Son, because of his great reverence for the Father, that the Father exalts his Son as high priest forever and sees to it that Jesus becomes, as chapter 5, 9 puts it, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Amen. In obeying Jesus, we are granted access to eternal salvation of which he is the source. Literally, salvation proceeds from him who is eternal. But the, I think that the marvel of this particularly for me is that we come in obedience to the one who has already shown perfect obedience. The high, this high priest forever, who is the source of eternal salvation, who laid down his life to secure a covering from God that was not temporary, but for all time, whose blood washes away our sin and he was able to deal gently with us in our weaknesses because he passed through the heavens to become like us. This high priest is humble. This high priest is deeply respectful and this high priest is faithfully obedient. How similar he is to Aaron and yet how marvelously different he is. As the worship song says, thank you, O my father, for giving us your son. So we're going to conclude by bringing in some application for us based on a couple of let us phrases that we see in Hebrews 4:14 and 16. Okay. So you will if you read through Hebrews you will discover a few of these let us phrases through the throughout the book. They are applications to the church, strong encouragements to respond and are often sandwiched between the reasons why we should respond. For those who like the mathematical approach, this is the way the writer deals with it. He goes, because of reason one and because of reason two, we should respond like this. Okay, so here's our first application, 414. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Because we have this high priest who has passed through the heavens, the son of God who became man, God's chosen and appointed one who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, yet was without sin. Because of this, let us hold fast our confession. And to hold fast means to remain tightly secured, like an anchor on a ship. It's a dead weight that embeds itself into the sand, secures the ship, preventing it from drifting. So we are to hold fast to our confession and our confession is the witness we carry from our, our spirit, our body, our voice and our behaviour that Jesus Christ is our sure and certain hope. The writer is saying that because of the lengths that God is willing to go for you and because of the power he has at his, at his disposal to overcome sin and not yield to sin's determination to pull us away from God, let us hold fast. Let us secure ourselves to the hope we profess in Christ. This high priest who intercedes on our behalf, 
and whose power is at work in us to overcome. Hold fast to this, lest we drift away. Which brings us to 416. Because of this high priest who is perfectly able to understand where we're at in life, our challenges, our struggles, our weaknesses, because he has experienced the pull of sin in every way, he is able to deal gently with us and even more so intercede for us and minister to us. And because of the wonderful way God has chosen to reveal himself and draw alongside us, because of these things, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of who he is, let us hold fast to our confession of the hope we have in him. And because of who he is, let us approach with confidence to God's throne of grace and to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to, we're going to respond by drawing near in confidence to him. I'm going to invite the band to come up, wherever these guys are. There we go. Let's go. Let's, as these guys are getting ready, let's stand together, shall we? These guys, as these guys um, begin to play, we, I just want to take this as a moment for some of us to secure ourselves again. to secure ourselves again like an anchor to the hope we have in Christ. As we look to who he is in worship, let us hold fast together. I also think there is an invitation from God to approach him with a confidence that he, in his priestly role, wants to deal gently with many of you here that in drawing close to him, you will find grace to help you in your time of need. So here is my encouragement as we worship together. Draw close to him in worship. We are gonna keep an ear out for what God is saying through the prophetic, but as God starts to deal gently with you, let this be a time of family ministry. Let us as brothers and sisters be praying for one another and helping each other to steer our gaze to the one who is on the throne and willing to pour his grace to help us in our time of need. I'm gonna finish by reading one of my favorite passages of scripture. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I believe God is going to get straight to the heart of some things this morning. And let's be open to that. And if you have not yet crossed the line of faith and professed Jesus as your sure and certain hope, my personal testimony to you is this. He is the one who makes the radical difference. He is the one from the heavens who can offer something the world cannot. And what the world offers is temporary. What Jesus offers is eternal and permanent. And I invite you to respond to the call of Jesus upon your life. So Father, I pray as we respond in worship together as family, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope that we have in you again. Thank you that you are able to deal gently with us. But I thank you that, Father, in that we have a hope that spans so much more than that of Aaron. One who has the power within us to overcome our struggles and challenges and to help us navigate through. You're a God who is almighty, a God who is powerful, a God who is eternal. So Father, I pray, deal gently with us through your Son as we worship. Lord, I pray, Father, speak to us, to your body, encourage us and sharpen us. Lord God, we adore you as our greater high priest. In Jesus' name, amen.